We're doing our Bible class today. It's actually our last class this semester. And we are in Daniel 4, Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to see um, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Now this dream, we believe, is years later. As a matter of fact, uh, could be uh, closer to the end of his reign because the first one is near the beginning of his reign. Daniel had just arrived. And matter of fact, Daniel was probably still in training. This dream is going to come many years later, uh, possibly as many as 30 years later. We'll address that as we get into the, to the lesson. But let's take a few seconds for our own personal uh, spiritual preparation. And uh, I'll be praying for... Doug and his wife's name Kim. is Kim. And then he tolerated the chemo, which is going to be huge tonight. And uh, Doug has tongue cancer. And so I'll be praying for for Doug, good friends of the Jarnigans. So let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can approach you in prayer. As a matter of fact, we're thankful that you demand, mandate, decree that we come to you in prayer. Uh, We must do this. And so, uh, in our prayers, we have the opportunity to be thankful, to praise you for uh, the fact that you are our God, that there is an opportunity for us to have a relationship with you. And we're thankful for your sovereignty, your providence in human affairs. Uh, we know that the, uh, the deists are wrong when they uh, believe that, uh, that there is a God, but that God is not involved in the details of His creation. We know that you are, and we're thankful that you are, and we praise you, Father, that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can come to you with uh, our intercessions for others and also our petitions. We pray for specifically, Father, for uh, Doug, who has tongue cancer, uh, and his wife, Kim, who is supporting him. We're thankful that he is in the hospital now, that he will be getting chemotherapy. We pray for his ability to tolerate uh, the chemotherapy. We know that he is uh, not real strong right now, that his weight is down and uh, the doctors are praying and hoping that he will be strong enough to tolerate the chemotherapy. And we're thankful that uh, there is um, uh, uh, that the treatment for tongue cancer has been fairly successful. And we pray that it will be true in his case. So we pray for their uh, patience, uh, their perseverance uh, in this treatment, uh, their determination. We pray for his physical strength. And we pray for the success of the treatment, Father. We're thankful that Doug uh, and Kim are believers. We pray that that we know that uh, our experiences in life uh, should only bring us closer to you. And so we pray that that will happen in this case. And we pray that while he is undergoing treatment, that he'll not only 
uh, strengthen his own spiritual life, but he'll be a wonderful testimony to those around him, uh, the doctors, the nurses, <clears throat> friends that come visit, and he'll have uh, an impact on them. And we also ask for your blessing upon our study this morning in Daniel chapter 4. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. We're in, again, Daniel chapter 4. Having studied the previous three uh, lessons, the previous three chapters, and... uh, as I said, chapter 4 in Daniel is the second dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And apparently a number of years have transpired between uh, the experience of Daniel's three friends um, in front of the uh, image and the furnace. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream now uh, is going to take him from a, uh, a period of sanity, although there are those who believe that uh, you could detect in him um, traits of mental instability, uh, megalomania possibly being uh, part of it, and also uh, having maybe a, a strong resistance to um, the, the very evident uh, uh, presentation of God's power to him. But Nebuchadnezzar will reign for 43 years. Uh, his reign uh, is from 605 B.C. to 562 B.C. And we'll see in this lesson that we're probably uh, within... Uh, maybe 8 to 10 years of that end date and that his uh, discipline we could say or his insanity is going to last 7 years he'll return to the throne uh, for a very brief time before he, before he dies and there are many who believe and I think this is true that his last years uh, are spent as a believer uh, it takes this event in his life to bring him to that conclusion. But uh, his last years uh, uh, on the throne don't take place until uh, he's had the opportunity to uh, finish all the the extensive building programs that he had. And he was uh, quite the architect and quite the builder. And so all those are finished, and that's one of the reasons that leads us to believe that all of this is very near the end of his uh, his reign. Uh, so this is probably uh, this will probably occurs somewhere. Maybe let's just say if he reigns 43 years, if this will be maybe in his 35th year, and um, this is about uh, in the 50th year of Daniel's life. So Daniel is probably about 50. So uh, that gives us a little bit of an orientation. Uh, the events in the book of Daniel are not always chronological. We have to um, make sure that we understand the context. So, uh, chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 1. And I'll probably 
simply read the first three uh, verses and then explain how I believe they fit into the chapter. Uh, Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all people, peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Now, in reading that, we have the very strong... um, sense here that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is demonstrating a respect for God and a relationship with him Uh, if we read the rest of the chapter we'd see that uh, that's not the case until the end of the chapter so what we believe and I think this is true what scholars believe is that these three verses that introduce this chapter uh, are an introduction that he is Uh, applying to the first part of the chapter. But he does this at the end of his experience. So he has the experience. He comes to the conclusion that is expressed in these first three verses. And then he goes through the experience. That's how this chapter is built. So, uh, after... We could say after the uh, events recorded in this chapter have taken place, then Nebuchadnezzar makes this royal proclamation uh, about the event and has it circulated. So it's circulated uh, after he goes through the event and he, he sort of puts this preface of the introduction onto it so that those who read it understand that it's had a very strong impact on his life. He's trying to teach his people, those who know him at least, uh, what God had taught him in the fact that the Most High God is a kingdom that's sovereign over man and it's going to last forever in contrast to man's kingdom. So, uh, chapter 4 here records not only his his conversion, and which is... Um, reported to us in this proclamation. But it also talks about uh, the uh, this event in his life, this dream and uh, the interpretation and the fulfillment of that dream uh, about himself. So, uh, let's read on now. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians... The astrologers, and by the way, the word there for astrologers is the same word that we have in the New Testament, magi. And that's important during this season because we'll be studying more about the magi as they come to find the Christ child. So, verse 7, then the magicians, the astrologers, or the magi, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. 
Excuse me, yes. someone knocking at the door. Yes, okay. We certainly want to let them in. I know. The door should be unlocked. I may have failed to unlock. Bill, unlock the... So, uh, then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Uh, What's interesting here, you'll notice, is that in his previous dream, in his previous dream, he did not... Uh, make the dream known to his uh, to his wise men, but this time he has a dream. He calls in the wise men and he makes the dream known to them. So uh, the difference here is that uh, this dream causes him uh, anxiety, fear, and so it says here that it, uh, that it caused him to be troubled. I'll come back to that. That's, uh, it needs to be a stronger word than that probably. But he tells them the dream. And now he simply wants the interpretation. Let's see if they have any success here. Verse 8. Uh, oh, excuse me, but, but they don't. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. So, again... Uh, these wise men can't make, uh, cannot figure this dream, cannot give an answer to the dream. Verse 8, But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And so you'll see that as we go through here, it makes more sense to see those first three verses as uh, his, uh, his testimony, really, after all of this is over. Because... Uh, even with this parenthesis here, he, he refers to uh, Daniel having the spirit of the most holy God. And uh, I don't know that he would uh, have said this 30 years later. Uh, he might have said it immediately after his first dream, but I don't know that he would have said it 30 years later. So he inserts this, and I, so I think he has, con- he has been converted at this time. He believes. And I told the dream before him, Daniel, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the musicians, magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Verse 10 says, These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves, lovely. Its fruit, abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the earth dwelt in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said this, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth. Bind it or bound 
with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with dew of, of heaven. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times, or seven years, pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence of the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. Uh, give uh, gives it to whomever he will. It there refers to probably rulership. That the Most High rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. So you'll notice here, as we look at this dream, that the watchers, and that's an interesting word that Nebuchadnezzar uses, uh, for the Jews and anyone who is familiar with the Bible, they would recognize them as angels. But this angel gives the command to chop down the tree, uh, talks about uh, the tree itself, um, and then says the source of that decree. This is a decision. Uh, this decision is by the decree of the watchers, the angels, and of course these are ministers sent from God. And that's one of the things I've always tried to make uh, emphasize is that angels aren't simply errant creatures that are buzzing about the uh, the universe, but they but God uh, uses them to assist Him in rulership and when I say assist him it means that he he dispatches them with authority to do his will and so when he says this is a decision of the the watchers the watcher has been sent um, the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men he gives that rulership to whomever he will and sets over it the lowliest of men so uh, this is interesting um, let's take a, let's go back just to pick up at least one or two of these verses. Verse five says, "I saw a dream which made me afraid, and thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me." And the the word there for troubled, the Hebrew word for troubled, behal, uh, behal rather, is to alarm. It has the sense of uh, of of great anxiety. Um, maybe even um, maybe another word is dismay so it troubles him it causes him alarm so uh, this time uh, it, he he knows that there's a that there is something in this dream that is going to be a problem for him uh, well he says that he was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And so he's 
he at this point in his career, probably about his 35th year, he's no longer really out expanding the empire. Uh, he's at home, and he is living, flourishing, living luxuriously, we might say, in his palace. And what we believe also is we talk about uh, the hanging gardens, walking about the palace. It appears that all of the construction that he wanted to uh, complete has been accomplished. So um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, has this dream. He calls in his wise men. And of course, he's done this before. Um, but the wise men are unable to give him answers. Uh, the question that we that many people ask, that the last time this occurred, he talked with his wise men, and they were unable to give him an answer. Uh, why does he start with them again? Well, again, this appears to be much later. And if Daniel is filling the bill, let's say, of prime minister, um, he may be administering the uh, empire uh, in a, another location, in another government building. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, was very impressed by Daniel, very impressed by his three friends uh, early in his career. But uh, he has since returned to his normal uh, uh, modus operandi, and that is uh, he's essentially very proud. Uh, he has accomplished the... Uh, the expansion of his own empire. Uh, he's a great man. He is uh, the, uh, uh, the the mightiest king. Um, Babylon is the greatest empire, and so all of these things contribute to his uh, egomania. Uh, he is very self-centered, and so he sees no need for maybe a relationship with. Uh, Daniel's God but he periodically calls in these wise men uh, whom he trusts because they are Babylonians they are for the most part all Chaldeans uh, or Babylonians and um, they probably give him the answers that he wants to hear so he calls them first but of course uh, they have they don't. They do not have the ability to come up with an interpretation. They're at a loss concerning the meaning of the dream. So finally, Daniel is brought uh, before Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar realizes that uh, only a supernatural being, only Daniel's God, is going to be able to give him an answer, to give him an inter- interpretation. So uh, the king relates the content of his dream to Daniel. And in this dream, of course, he sees a tree that has vast branches uh, that bears much fruit. Um, It grows, it says, up to heaven. Uh, It provides lodging and food for beasts, birds, and people. Uh, And then we have the watchers, the angels, that, um, that are there, that are present. And come down to uh, command that the tree be cut down and only the stump be left in the ground. Uh, That stump was to be bound with a band of iron and bronze and its uh, heart, we're now having a transition, the heart of this tree was to be changed to that of a man, of a man's 
uh, and then to a beast until seven times has passed. So uh, the purpose here of the angel, the watchers, was to teach, it says, that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and that this rulership is given to whomever the Most High God wills. And then it says he sets up the lowliest of men. Uh, what does he mean by that? Um, he is ref- he's saying here that God uses doesn't always use the smartest, the strongest, uh, the richest, but he uses humble men uh, to rule in his kingdom. And um, there's uh, also maybe an allusion here to Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nabopolassar. Nabopolassar uh, always, uh, if in some of the inscriptions that have been found, he always referred to himself as a man of very uh, humble uh, beginnings, very humble birth. Uh, he was not uh, from any royalty. As a matter of fact, one of the quotes about himself, he, he describes himself as being little, uh, the son of a nobody. Uh, he says, of me the insignificant. I'm insignificant amongst men. So uh, that may be part of it, that uh, Nabopolassar, while a, a remarkable a military strategist who uh, began this uh, Babylonian empire. <clears throat> he was not of royal birth, and therefore Nebuchadnezzar really is not is not either. So uh, <clears throat> we now have the dream, and Daniel is going to give the interpretation of the dream, and that's what we see in verse 19, beginning in verse 19. So uh, chapter. Uh, excuse me, uh, really paragraph 3, we could say, we're going to see Daniel's reaction to the dream. We're only going to read one verse here because this is Daniel's reaction in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you, cause you anxiety or dismay. Belshazzar answered, this is Daniel, and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. So, uh, as Daniel listens to the dream, the interpretation uh, becomes uh, apparent to him, and he realizes that this dream is about Nebuchadnezzar. And I think Daniel has affection for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this is his king. Uh, he works for him. He serves him. Uh, and while he may recognize the weaknesses of Nebuchadnezzar and the problems, uh, the arrogance that he has, and maybe even some of the uh, mental disturbances, uh, he still does not wish this upon his king, upon Nebuchadnezzar. So, uh, Daniel's initial response is that he's shocked uh, he's dismayed uh, I think he's perplexed from the standpoint that he doesn't want to reveal you know should I tell the king um, this bad news and uh, for anybody who's ever been in a position uh, an advisory position to someone who's in authority uh, bad news doesn't improve with time 
the sooner we know the bad news, the better. Uh, and of course, in this particular case, there's not um, <laughs> there's no benefit as far as Daniel's concerned yet. Um, there is though a solution that Daniel will provide for Nebuchadnezzar we'll see that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't doesn't take that but anyhow Daniel doesn't want to give this bad interpretation to the king uh, but the king insists so what we're going to see in uh, verses 20 through 27 uh, Daniel is going to acquiesce to the wish of Nebuchadnezzar and he's going to express the tragedy that is portrayed in the dream that's going to uh, come to the king and it's going to come on the king not upon the enemies of the king which is what Daniel has said he would much prefer that this would happen to uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, enemies not the king so here we go in verse 20 we'll read through verse 27 the tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, For your greatness has grown, and it reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Uh, So what he's saying here as he gets to this point, and remember that Nebuchadnezzar uh, has a fear of this. There's a a dread of it. There's great dismay or anxiety. And so Daniel says, the tree, uh, O king, that's you. You are the tree, not the kingdom. This is sort of an interesting part here. Trees very often represent kingdoms. But in this case, even though Nebuchadnezzar, when we say Nebuchadnezzar, we're referring to the Babylonian kingdom as well. But this is a specific reference to the king himself. Um, And you'll notice he says that... um, uh, it, it's a tree that grew and became strong. So this is a mighty empire. Heights reach to heaven. Uh, this is probably uh, just uh, a, uh, a, a representation of the tree. So that the tree in reaching to heaven means that it's big and it's strong and the kingdom was big and strong as well. Uh, the the idea here that somehow the the kingdom uh, is uh, involved with heaven is is not the case. It's just a description of the tree, the strength of the tree. Uh, And it says, which could be seen by all the earth. So uh, the Babylonian Empire uh, is having such an impact uh, in the area that it is that it's known throughout the rest of the world. It says the trees, uh, the leaves are lovely, so it's a a very... uh, a healthy tree, very prosperous. It's a strong uh, empire. Uh, it's very productive. The uh, people in it are prospering. Uh, there is a prosperity for those kingdoms around it as well. Um, it says food for all. Uh, the beasts of the, the, of the field dwell under it, so there's prosperity within the kingdom whose branches the birds of the heaven had as their home. So here, uh, not only... Are the Babylonians prospering uh, and 
those who are immediately in what we could say the tribe or the people, the Babylonians, but the birds of of the air mean other uh, nations as well um, that uh, have come under the the power, the influence of this uh, mighty empire. And then he just says, he says, it's you. O king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown, reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Verse 23. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, and we'll describe this one again as an angel. He, see, you know, he sees something holy. He doesn't recognize it as an angel. He recognizes it as something beyond human. <clears throat> and so... Uh, we'll just describe it as an angel here. Coming down from heaven. So it's coming down from heaven indicating that this authority, the, the decree that it's going to have, there's going to be action that is being um, directed from heaven. And saying, chop down the tree, destroy it. So Nebuchadnezzar here is something uh, uh, calamitous is going to happen to him. Personally, chop it down, strike it down, we could say, but leave its stump and roots in the earth. So that portion says we're not going to completely uproot his throne, his dynasty, uh, his family, his rulership. It then says, uh, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. there's not very many people who touch this uh, for its meaning, but it appears to mean that we're going to cut down the tree, leave the stump and the roots, and uh, if the stump and the roots are there, most people who ever cut down a very healthy tree, you'll realize it's going to there'll be shoots uh, that grow right back. So it appears that God is saying we're going to uh, retard the ability of that stump. To grow back, we're going to bind it. Uh, we're going to band it so that it can't grow back. Uh, uh, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him. Now we see this transition from referring to Nebuchadnezzar as this tree to let it, the the stump, be wet with the dew of heaven. So it's going to remain out in the open and let him graze with the beasts in the field till seven times pass over him. Um, what's interesting in a little bit of the reading that I did is that in the ancient world, when someone uh, lost their mind or became uh, unstable, they didn't put them in sanitariums. They didn't... Uh, uh, restrict them they they let them go they turned them loose and so uh, you'd think with the king they might do something a little different with him but apparently not they did the exact same thing they allowed him to uh, do whatever his insanity is causing him to do so in his case that means he goes outside uh, he wants to wander around Outside Now, he may have been contained in some sort of a uh, uh, canton um, uh, so that he couldn't go very far, uh, but he's outside. 
And that's uh, what we have here. So that he will be in uh, the grass. There will be grass around him. He can graze with the beasts of the field. And it says until seven times pass over him. And the word for times here, uh, seven sevens, we're going to see that Daniel uses that uh, for, not Daniel, looks like the... uh, uh, the angel here it uses that to mean years it's not seven days it's not seven weeks it's not seven months it's seven years uh, and then he goes on and says this is the interpretation O king this is the decree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king they shall drive you from men so he's going to be separated from uh, the population from men your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen so uh, he's going to be out uh, and have this sense that he is uh, an animal they shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and it gives uh, and gives it to, to whomever He will. And God gives rulership to whomever He chooses. Now, it says, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. A better translation of the word know there is probably until you recognize that fact, until you acknowledge it, until you come to that realization. Uh, and then you will acknowledge it. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to acknowledge or to recognize that heaven rules. So therefore that there is a God and that God does rule in the affairs of men. And it's not you, O king, but it's God that rules and he's ruling through you is what we have here. Verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. So Daniel has given him the interpretation of the dream. That's what's going to happen. Now Daniel says, I'm going to give you some advice, O king. Take my advice. Listen to me. Let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins, your arrogance, by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may, there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel says that there's an opportunity here for recovery. That um, there may be an opportunity for you to uh, not go through this, uh, this dream. Now, what we're going to see is that, of course, Daniel doesn't have... Uh, the authority over that God does but Daniel is saying that he needs to uh, confess his sins and change his his life Um, and perhaps there will be a lengthening of prosperity so uh, uh, this is a remarkable uh, interpretation and uh, it's easy for us to tell that Daniel is concerned about this and he has a recommendation for the king. Um, God's representation of Nebuchadnezzar is a large tree here that provides food and lodging for all um, is very fitting for a couple reasons. First of all, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's 
inscriptions, what we find uh, regarding him. He boasted about uh, the peaceful shelter and abundance of food that he'd provided for his subjects throughout Babylon. Uh, He had said that uh, the produce of the lands, this is what we found in some of the inscriptions, the produce of the lands, the product of the mountains, the bountiful wealth of the sea within her, I received. Uh, Under her everlasting shadow, I gathered all men in peace, he said. Uh, Vast heaps of grain beyond measure I stored up within her. Uh, In another inscription, it reads, uh, Under her everlasting shadow, I gathered all men in peace. A reign of abundance, years of plenty, I cause it to be in my hand. So um, he would certainly recognize uh, the uh, uh, parts of the dream uh, as easily referring to him. Then secondly, uh, as a result of military campaigns that took him uh, several times through the forests of Lebanon, Nebuchadnezzar was captivated by the huge cedar trees that were in Lebanon. Um, In one of his inscriptions, he describes the trees as mighty cedars, tall and strong, of costly value, uh, whose dark forms tower aloft uh, the massive growth of Lebanon. So uh, he was impressed by these huge trees, and he'd even uh, cut several of them down with his his own hands. So... um, uh, he pictured, pictured himself to a certain uh, degree as being uh, a, a, someone that was strong and maybe even having a, a, a power over these great trees. So, uh, the, key, the king here who delights in cutting down these trees is going to be uh, struck down himself, cut down himself. Um, Daniel indicates uh, what the portions of the dream mean. They symbolize him and his authority, his power. He's going to be removed from office. Uh, the stump is going to be uh, allowed to remain. So there is some sort of a residue here uh, and a possibility for uh, a resurgence, but it's going to be banned. Banned by God uh, for at least a short period of time or for a period of time as long as he wants it to be bound. Um uh, It says that he's going to be driven from the palace. Uh, His hair is going to be, uh, he and his hair is going to be matted with dew. He's going to eat grass like wild animals. So, uh, we've got quite a picture here. Um, And apparently, uh, from what Daniel says here, uh, to show mercy to the poor, that Nebuchadnezzar has uh, been maybe a rather brutal ruler. He has not shown mercy uh, to those around him. Um, that he has been, uh, that he's uh, gravely mistreated his his subjects. So, uh, the fulfillment of the dream. We come to verses twenty-eight through thirty-three. Verse twenty-eight. All of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. So, uh, at the beginning. Uh, of this of this section, paragraph five, we might call the the, the fulfillment of the dream. Uh, we're told that this is going to come upon Nebuchadnezzar. Doesn't it hasn't come yet, but it's going to come on him. Verse twenty nine says, "At the end of the twelve months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon." So, um, the dream doesn't come to fruition immediately. He has the dream. 
the dream is uh, interpreted for him. He knows what it means, um, and I think he should be relatively certain that it's going to uh, come to pass. But it doesn't occur for 12 months. So there is a grace period here. God gives even Nebuchadnezzar here a grace period to respond to uh, this dream. Verse 30, the king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? So he is just admiring Babylon, what he's accomplished. Uh, he's walking around the royal palace. He says, I've built the, uh, the palace here for a royal dwelling. Uh, I've done it by my might, my mighty power, and for the honor of my majesty. And verse 31 says, While the word was still in the mouth of the king, while he was still speaking, a voice fell from heaven. A voice comes from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know, until you realize, acknowledge that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Verse 33, That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar was given 12 months, uh, an opportunity here to respond to the warning of the watchers, the angels, the interpretation that Daniel had given him, uh, to recognize, to acknowledge uh, who God is. And he did not. And so, one more time, the Lord, uh, we read uh, that the word comes from heaven and tells him exactly what's going to happen and in, uh, within the hour that occurred. So, uh, if we think back now to uh, the royal proclamation, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to confess that the tragedy portrayed in the dream really happened. He's going to say that this is, in fact, what happened. Uh, the fulfillment began one year after the dream had been given. Uh, and at that time, the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace. And uh, we're told that uh, the palace and Babylon was really a remarkable place. Uh, uh, he had one... Uh, one of his wives was a princess from Media, and she was accustomed to uh, mountains uh, and to uh, the the foliage that would uh, that would grow on those mountains. And so he actually built something that was known as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And uh, archaeologists tell us that when they uh, work some of the uh, the ruins is that it appears that he had the ability, he built into the uh, hanging gardens, the ability to raise them and lower them um, to 
create different scenes so that it always wasn't exactly the same. Uh, so that for this princess, who apparently he loved greatly, uh, she wouldn't need to leave and go back to media. She could stay right there. But he, he built this uh, these images for her so that uh, she would uh, feel at home. She wouldn't feel uh, homesick, I guess we would say. So... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks out over Babylon. His heart swells with pride. He boasts within himself. Uh, This is the greatest city on earth. Uh, He built it uh, with his own power. Uh, He declares that Babylon is so magnificent, um, that he made it so magnificent in order to glorify himself. Um, So he's standing there and he's going through this ego trip. And it's simply a classic illustration of someone who truly uh, doesn't recognize that there is a God and uh, that it is God who allows these things to occur. So this is purely human viewpoint, uh, to say the least, on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, We might say that he he had a good reason to boast because he was a, uh, a great a military man, he apparently is a, a great architect and builder, but again, uh, in all of this has to be the recognition of God. Uh, it doesn't make any difference how successful we, uh, we are. We can never take credit to ourselves. The credit always goes to God. Everything that we do, he, God created man to glorify himself, not for the creature to glorify itself. And we simply need to, uh, to remember that. Uh, one of the other things that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, he, for which he has fame, is that he created something called the Ishtar Gate. Uh, it was a double gateway that led through the walls of the city, and apparently it was a, just a magnificent gate with uh, lions, uh, inscriptions of lions, and drawings of lions on it, and many other things. Uh, the walls of the gate are covered with bulls, uh, four-legged dragons. Um, uh, The approach to the gate was between strong fortress fortress walls on which there were rows of lions in relief and covered with brightly colored tiles. Um, One of the things that was really remarkable about Babylon as well was the thickness of the walls. Uh, They said that two uh, chariots could pass each other on the top of the walls. So it wasn't just a very narrow wall where you might have a few guards walking along, but it was so thick that two chariots, um, and the chariots that they were using at that time would either be drawn by two, uh, three or four horses. And so this is a, uh, an extremely um, thick wall. Uh, so much so that... Uh, Babylon, the Hanging Gardens, the Ishtar Gates, were described as the uh, one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, according to the Greeks. All right. Now, um, the illness with which Nebuchadnezzar was stricken was known as uh, lycanthropy. Well, that's what it's described today, lycanthropy. And lycanthropy... is L-Y-C-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. That's a Y, not an E. 
cell uh, lycanthropy. L-Y-C-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. And uh, apparently, it's not something that we hear uh, described much today, but apparently it is a kind of mental malady that causes the individual to think that they're an animal, a beast. Um, But uh, even though they're an animal and a beast, they still are able to make decisions. They're still able to want to do various things and have the ability to uh, uh, have an impact uh, sometimes called an inner consciousness, I guess. Uh, the victim of this disease still retains an inner consciousness. So, uh, the inner consciousness would allow the king to change his attitude even while suffering this madness. Sort of interesting. So, the last paragraph here, uh, paragraph 6, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reaction. Verse 34, And at the end of the time, the end of this seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And, of course, that takes us back to verse 3, and that's one of the reasons why we recognize that this is his testimony afterwards, the first three verses, because verse 3 said, How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And so we realize that this is his realization after his recovery. Verse 35, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He, God, does according to his will in the army of heaven, in the the hosts, we could say, in the armies of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Remember, this is one of the questions that, sort of a question that comes out of Job. Uh, why has this occurred? And the Lord arrives and says, uh, to a certain extent, why are you? Who are you to ask these questions about what's happening uh, in my creation? Uh, So, verse 36. At that time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor uh, returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And uh, an excellent majesty was added to me. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, all of, the, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. So, uh, Nebuchadnezzar here finally recognized that he was in a situation that he could not control. Uh, becoming a beast as he was and uh, somehow in that condition he is able to uh, decide that his arrogance has taken him there and he needs to be humble before God so in this last part he praises God 
uh, he expresses the sovereignty of God, uh, recognizing God's hand uh, in history and certainly in his life. And then God immediately restores his kingdom to him. So he, he, he is restored to the throne. Uh, uh, as a result here, Nebuchadnezzar exalts and honors God. And now that he has recognized God, God's sovereignty, he calls God. He calls God king. And so uh, this is really a remarkable passage. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, truly probably one of the greatest uh, kings or rulers, uh, Daniel told him in verse two that, or in chapter two, that uh, there's a potential here for you to rule the entire world. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar never uh, uh, realizes that potential. But uh, he rules for 43 years. He has a remarkable uh, empire. And he's restored to his kingship, uh, to his rulership, to the throne uh, after the seven-year period. And he recognizes uh, the God in heaven. So we believe that this is his conversion. Uh, absolute conversion, um, uh, and he uh, he recognizes that everything that he's accomplished is not uh, of his doing, but it's uh, God is the sovereign king. He is the uh, the ruler of uh, the dominions, and he's the one that establishes rulership from generation to generation. And so, this is really a great. Um, a great passage, Daniel uh, chapter four. So, um, if uh, this is true in Nebuchadnezzar's life, then of course this is what uh, God desires for us to do as well in our lives. So, uh, any questions on the dream? He had seven years. Yeah. So he had about a year, year to live. That's that's what believe that he's uh, according to uh, history. There's a I think I wrote this down. There was a Greek uh, scholar who, uh, Megastathes, uh, a Greek writer who lived from uh, 312 to 280 B.C., uh, told an interesting story that had been told to him by the Chaldeans. And according to this story, after he had completed military conquest, Nebuchadnezzar was possessed by some god or other while on the roof of his palace. And the story goes on to talk about him wandering amongst rocks and ravines. Uh, but that he was then restored, but restored for a brief time. So, uh, you know, who knows whether that story is, is accurate or true or whether it's about Nebuchadnezzar, but it sounds as if that is the case. And we knew that he, uh, there is a, um, according to... Uh, uh, some of the other uh, inscriptions that, that, are, that have been found that apparently uh, there is a period in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, uh, the history of Babylon, where his name just is omitted. It's no longer there. And then it reappears briefly. So uh, it appears that uh, it was for seven years that he was restored to the throne, but it was just for a short period of time and then he died. And uh, his his son, um, Nabonidus, is going to be uh, uh, take his place, and then his son is going to be the uh, uh, the topic. Nabonidus' 
son is going to be the topic of chapter 5, Belshazzar. So, uh, yes, to answer your question. Daniel kept trying to point him towards towards God, encouraging him at the beginning and then... Yes. I, I, you know, many of us you know, would look at this and say, golly, why didn't he? Well, you know, there are a lot of people today, um, who, and, and many believers, who uh, just even, maybe even after believing, don't truly recognize uh, the impact that God has in their lives. You know, they're still very arrogant. I did this. And um, their pride... Uh, causes them to have um, little or no relationship with with God. You know, they may come to church once in a while, and uh, it's kind of the nod to God, as we often say. Uh, but you know, Nebuchadnezzar is an unbeliever, mm-hmm. so. Uh, but he had potential, and Daniel saw and liked him. I yeah, like yeah. I know that's what yeah. I yeah. never. Yeah, Daniel really. About that before. Yeah, Daniel. Tried to get him. Yeah, Daniel really cared. So yes, all right. Well, let me close in prayer, and as I do, let me uh, again pray for Doug. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the lesson that we read here in Daniel four about the uh, uh, the seriousness of pride and arrogance, uh, and how you, as the Creator, simply want uh, our recognition and uh, the acknowledgement of who you are. But then, of course, once we recognize that, we should come to a point where we truly uh, revere you and and worship you. And, as it's often described in the Bible, uh, we fear the consequences of not worshiping you and uh, having great respect for you. Um, So we're thankful for Daniel's dedication to his to his king uh, that that's remarkable in itself as well it's uh, a credit to daniel that he cared uh, and that uh, he attempted to be persuasive uh, with the king and in the end the king uh, believes and for that we are thankful uh, we're also thankful father that uh, that doug is a believer in the lord jesus christ and that even though the uh, tongue cancer that he's experiencing right now seems to be uh, uh, a ways along, we pray, Father, that uh, he will be determined uh, and that determination will uh, help his health, his immune system to be strong. Uh, We pray for the success of the chemotherapy, uh, that he'll continue to be able to improve physically, that he'll be able to breathe, uh, properly, that his uh, breathing will come easier for him, um, and that uh, in all of this, uh, he will recognize that whatever the outcome, uh, you are to receive the glory. And we pray that, again, uh, he'll be a wonderful testimony for you. We pray for those who are uh, otherwise ill, uh, Laura, Tony, uh, Mike, uh, possibly Jerry still, Scott's recovering, and maybe others. We pray for their health. We pray for their recovery. We pray, Father, for um, our church as we approach uh, Christmas, that we will uh, honor you and your son uh, in the appropriate way, and we pray for our nation. Uh, Father, we know that 
uh, there are many who are making decisions that are contrary to establishment principles and contrary to the biblical principles upon which this nation was founded. We pray, Father, um, that you would provide for us other leaders, that the nation as a whole would recognize that we need different leaders, those who would make different decisions, that would honor you and allow uh, the nation as a whole to continue to worship you and praise you um, and express their uh, belief uh, in the public, in the public square and public venues, uh, we pray for those who uh, would see this nation destroyed, belittled, uh, cut down. That they would be frustrated. That they would not be successful, and that there would be courageous, uh, courageous, courageous uh, Americans that would oppose that. And so we ask, Father, for your blessing, continued blessing upon uh, this nation, upon this church, and upon the uh, the members of this church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.